0: Hello, and welcome to Beyond Well. I'm Sheila Hamilton. We've released over 200 episodes of Beyond Well, and we're really proud of some of the shows we've done. We wanna make sure you've had a chance to hear some of the best. We've gathered up the most incredible episodes that we've done on bipolar disorder, and we're going to highlight them in the next few weeks. Before we get going, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Active Recovery TMS, for their support of our show. TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation, and with neighborhood offices to make it so convenient for you, Active Recovery TMS is your choice for transcranial magnetic stimulation in the Pacific Northwest. Active Recovery TMS has recently begun adding therapeutic sessions as well. And for more information or to find out if you qualify for treatment, go to ActiveRecoveryTMS.com. It would be a shame not to hear this show again. Ah, smells so good. Somebody's been baking bread and that someone is the incomparable Dave Dahl. Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. I think this is probably one of the conversations that I I should have every couple of years because Dave Dahl's iterations, the person that he was versus the person that he's becoming continue to amaze me. After serving a total of four prison sentences for crimes ranging from burglary to armed robbery to drug dealing, Dave turned his life around during his last stint and rejoined his family bakery shortly after his release. He went on to co-create Dave's Killer Bread, my favorite bread in the world. Mine (laughs) too. Yours too. And uh, went from sharing an abandoned house with cockroaches to living in a luxury high-rise penthouse. Unbelievable. Dave has probably one of the most inspiring stories that I've ever heard about the power of recovery and accepting humility as a way to begin to ask for help. It is so good to see you again, Dave. Yes, it
1: is really. It's amazing. It's
0: amazing. And, you know, we, we've both been in this world of mental health for so long, but you're the person who I think embodies a lot of hope for people who are at their worst part maybe when they're first diagnosed or when they're really struggling
1: yeah um you know it's amazing that i i had i thought i had it all figured out you know when i first met you i was doing very well there but um you know i was drinking i started drinking a little bit more a little bit more uh and eventually see i had it all figured out right but i didn't
0: yeah
1: and um the monster is it takes various forms 2013, I had a bipolar meltdown, and it was very hard to come back from, but I feel really great now.
0: You look amazing, and one of the things that I think is perfect about your story, Dave, is this is the life of a person who has a mental illness, that you have times where you're, everything seems to be holding together and mm-hmm. maybe you have the right combination of self-medicating and, and stimuli from the outside world, and then you get too much stimuli and it falls apart and you have to find a new way of coping. And so often that can't include drugs or alcohol.
1: No, absolutely. In fact, um, the alcohol could have been any drug, but I thought alcohol was different for me right and, uh and i know it's not now if i avoid all that mind-altering stuff i i think i'm okay but you know i i don't want to be too confident
0: tell me how you're staying well right now what do, what do you do to make sure that you're coping with all of the challenges that one's brain can yeah. deliver
1: i think i cope by i think medication is definitely an important part yeah i take um i have taken all the way through this period from 2001, when I had my began my my most important transformation, I was in prison and waved the white flag and asked for some help, and, and I got Effexor. Actually, it started with Paxil, yeah. And then Effexor. Effexor has been like a, a constant that I don't take a chance on giving it up because it made such a difference in my life. Right. So, uh, if extra, I take now since the incident in 2013, the bipolar meltdown, the cops, and all that. I take Lamotrigine, you know, and I just I just keep taking it because I I'm doing well. So.
0: And you don't want to have another one of those, right? No,
1: I don't. I don't want to take chances. And you know, meds have always done me. These meds have always done me well. Um, and then I take Seroquel, and mm-hmm. the reason I take that is it's 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 um, listed as an anti psychotic, Mm -hmm. but the reason they gave it to me was in treatment many years ago so I could sleep And when I came off alcohol. Right. You know, alcohol, you know, you come off that, it's hard to sleep at first, and they gave me that, and I guarantee I get to go to sleep every
0: night. Yeah, that's so important, especially for someone with bipolar. So would you say that your manifestation of bipolar was almost always on the manic range? Because when I look at your... History, the way that you acted out, how you got in prison so many times mm-hmm. was probably because you had one of those minds that was consistently racing, consistently doing more than you really wanted or needed it to
1: be yes. doing. Yes, uh, but I would get so depressed, you know, too, and the depression I treated, you know, illegally and but effectively with yeah. methamphetamine. You know, I, I want to
0: talk about that, Dave, because to me... This is where it gets around to dual diagnosis, which I think is so hugely important, is that I think when people understand that most human beings, when they begin suffering so badly and they're not understanding what are going on, are going to try to find a way to cope with it. Sure. You're trying to you find a way. Exactly. You're trying to find a, a survival mechanism. You don't have a therapist. to. It, i have yes, a suicidal. Right, as yeah. a teenager to tell you hey, you have a mental illness, I can help you with this. And so you're creative in some ways. I mean, yeah. I do want to give people the credit for at least saving their own lives.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, my creativity um, just never stops. It's kind of, it comes naturally. You know? Yeah. I'm always creating more work for myself, for, for example. You know? Right. I do want to control it. You know, it's like um, I have so many aspects to my life. When I'm thinking about one, I'm forgetting I have all these other things I got to do, too. You know? Yeah, no
0: doubt. No. And, I,
1: and then, I'm, then I go, man, I got too many things to do, you know. Yeah. Which uh, is a, a gift in a way because growing up, up to the age of 38, except when I was on math, I was bored, you know. I was bored all the time because I could not figure out an outlet for myself. Right. Growing up in a bakery, I hated it, you know. It, I was I created in the bakery as a youngster. Uh, created created a couple things, successful products and all that. Uh, nothing like Dave's Killer Bread. But yeah. It just messing around. I I made things that were uh, successful in a way, but it was always on a very limited scale. Yeah. And And um, so I I took it for granted that I was that I had that kind of creativity. But I I thought that was that didn't matter to me. That yeah. was that's not what I was looking for in life. It's so I wanted to be somebody and. My first real identity I realized now was as a, as a criminal, you know, that's that gave me identity.
0: And what a, a devastating identity when you realize that that doesn't give you freedom because you have exactly the kind of mind that needs to be free and entrepreneurial and creative. So when you were in prison, did you notice that 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 this type, this mindset that you had was kind of shared by a lot of those criminals that perhaps if they'd been able to To be diverted into something more positive more interesting more stimulating not less stimulating
1: well as my mind has opened up as i've seen my my own self openly and you know the humility aspect is what makes your mind open up right and and then i can see how others are suffering too you know and i can see how others could benefit And i've seen it in my own business that i've done where i've hired ex-felons that turn into they're just great people you know there's nothing there's bad about them there except that they are channeling their energies wrong and they don't know any better you Mm -hmm. know until they do and when they do they become amazing members of society because they have that perspective you know
0: I've always thought especially about people with bipolar disorder that it's almost like your brain has too much bandwidth that you feel things on the extreme, that you see things, that you make connections that other people maybe aren't making. Mm-hmm. And if it's channeled and if it's moderated with, you know, really good upbringing and maybe mindfulness and good nutrition and a great society that supports you, you can manage it.
1: Well, I think that there's a certain amount that might be genetic, but I think a lot of it comes from the conditioning you get as a youngster. Um, totally. And In my case, I had, I had bad acne and all this stuff when I was young. And everything, like I didn't want to go out in public, and uh, especially like take my shirt off in the summer. I mean, it was so it was so limiting. Mm. And uh, you know that was I actually was an example of something that made gave me low self esteem. Right. And eventually, it, looking back, if I just could have had the mindset I have now and had all that, I would have just like overcome it. I would have said, "Screw you, screw totally. everybody. I'm gonna go do what I want to do." No doubt. And I saw guys do that. I saw guys with really bad acting, worse than mine, doing that. And I'm like, how do you even do that? I couldn't do it, but I could now. There's a courage that somehow you develop to just be yourself and not worry about others.
0: Dave, since you're on the really healthy side of the most recent breakdown that you had, I want to try to get into the mindset of somebody who has worked so hard toward recovery and then you have a relapse like that. How difficult was it to come back to where you are today? And what did you do to
1: rebuild yourself? That's a good question. Um, The reality is that I was doing well and then um, I I had a shoulder surgery and this was like 2015. And I I discovered that I liked uh, the pain pills. Mm -hmm. And I got off on the pain pills for a little while. And I, so that's when I discovered Amazon and eBay. I'd never been there before. And I had, uh, we had just sold the company. So I had all this money to mess Mm -hmm. around with. So um, I was buying all these things from my house, all these uh, masks, you know, like ethnic, different ethnicities, Mexican uh you know aztec you know you you name it and i settled on african art but even after i quit the drugs i was still into this african art and the good thing about it it, is it had nothing to do with dave Mm doll you know and being able to forget about dave doll dave's killer bread all of the stuff that i had gone through for a while was really helpful that was part of it because it wasn't about me anymore
0: So and, in some ways, collecting identities helped you rebuild yours. How interesting, huh?
1: Yeah, masks or something. Yeah, something about masks and figures. I'm, I guess I'm sort of an artist anyway, and um, I got you know stories about that. But I got into that, and it was it was not about me. It was a whole new area of research. And like for instance, if I had chose cars or guitars, yeah, that would have been too close to Dave. You know, yeah, it's something that it wouldn't have. Distracted me like this did and so I I think that was really good until a friend kind of he showed up at the warehouse Where I have all my art one day and he was like, so uh, is this what you're going to do the rest of your life? You know because that's been like two or three years. I was doing that Wow, and he had a little bit of magnetism about him That kind of just pulled me started pulling me to get out there again, but there was a, a two or three years of Just being distracted and also Um, One of the things that helped me was a drug called Bivitrol. Have you heard of it? I haven't, no. Vivitrol is, um, it's a blocker. It's an opiate blocker. Oh, wow. So it cost me $800 a month, which is prohibitive for a lot of people. Yeah. It's worth it for me. But I think that eventually this drug should be, everyone should have an access to it.
0: So is the point that if you attempt to try to use opioids, they don't, Go, get into your system, and so it's no good. You don't no enjoy good? it. Yeah, yeah, you don't get nothing out of it. Oh wow,
1: it's a blocker, and alcohol isn't as good on it. So uh, I'm not tempted to do either one.
0: Oh my gosh, that, that, that's, that feels really important, doesn't it? For, for me, a, it is.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big believer in using any tool that works, yes. and I don't get side effects or anything. Uh, but I get a shot in the butt every every month by my shrink. Yeah, and that's what i've been doing this for three years
0: it's so you know instead of the stigma and the shame around addiction if we could begin to talk about what are the physiological chemical um, psychosocial urges that a person has that make them really want to need this drug
1: mm.
0: it, it we begin to accept things like let's lower the cost of that drug so that every addict can have that because yeah, too I, ma- way too many people are dying
1: i don't know why there's not a lot more conversation about this drug and it, Over time, I'm sure it'll get cheaper. Um, Insurance may not cover it now. I don't know what's up, but for me, it's just... You know it's it's an insurance policy that costs less than my other any of my other insurances so.
0: And how important do you think it's been um, that you have held connections with very good friends and your family throughout this day throughout recovery? What importance is there in that aspect of your life being held together?
1: It's very important after the 2013 incident with uh, the cops and just the ugliness of all that and that knocked me. Oh, man, I let everybody down. I let down so many people and it crushed me. Mm. But that comeback started with that, again, hitting bottom. Wow. Uh, it had to start there. I, I realize now that, you know, that depression that I had for a couple of months after that was something I had to go through. Because I was taking meds. It wasn't. It didn't matter.
0: Didn't even touch them.
1: No, not, wow. with, not with that kind of depression because that is so based on reality.
0: Yeah.
1: And so physically, I I forgot that I could get depressed because it's been so many years. From 2001 to 2014, I didn't
0: get depressed. Wow. So it's almost as if all that length of time not only forgetting about how deep it could be, but the potential of a life altering circumstance adding on to all of the physiological response that was going on in your brain at the same time almost made it over. Did you consider suicide? Yes.
1: Oh, yeah. You know, I thought about it, but it, it, I was a different person now mm. because of all I'd been through. Yeah. Even though I couldn't see at that first moment when I was so depressed, I couldn't at that time see how I was going to come out of it. Mm. And I'm like, I've been talking to all these kids, all these senators, all these you yeah. know, thousands of people and telling them how I did this before. But now it seems all seems like a bunch of shit. It, like I was wrong, but I wasn't it's just not that easy you have to use i use the same principles again humility is a big one being grounded and i really i kind of lost it even though i valued my humility by 2013 the alcohol and the accolades uh, i was constantly even though i was drinking i was getting standing ovations every time i spoke and stuff and you know the stuff just kind of i don't think it would have happened without the alcohol i think i would have been okay
0: yeah Can I ask you, when you speak to young people, especially when you recognize a young person who's kind of on that path you were when they were 13 or 14 years old, what do you say to them?
1: I just tell them there's a way out. Life is a struggle, and there's downward times, but if you hold on, it's going to get better. It's all about admitting you having a problem. I mean, it's good to admit it. And uh, you have a problem, but you're no less because of it. Look at me. I'm a very successful person now successful not just financially but mentally look at my example read my story i tell them my story Yeah. and it gives them hope
0: you have never come in here without saying that you have a new goal or a new thing <laughs> that you're trying so what's dave doll up to now
1: oh my god um <laughs> so many things i i think right now the number one thing i'm trying to do is simplify my life mm. you know because i do so much Currently, I'm moving several tens of thousands of pieces of art to a new facility that I'm building. I'm half done building it, and I've moved ha- a bunch of art to it already. It's 15,000-square-foot warehouse. That's going to solve some problems. you know. And I stay in touch every day with the art and, what, and that business, which is not a money-making business by any means. It's yeah. totally not profitable. But my goal is to always sell enough to keep, the employees going
0: yeah
1: it's really important that i'm taking the best care of people yeah and that that makes me feel better so there's the african art business which has several aspects to it itself and then i own a 40 plex unit 40 unit complex i have an eight unit complex and then i have other other properties that i i'm in various um stages of selling i'm trying to sell everything so um on most things, so I don't have to think about them anymore.
0: Yeah, that's super smart.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. Do
0: you, do you ever um, do that exercise where you go, all right, 58-year-old Dave talks to his 14-year-old self? Mm. What would you say to him?
1: I would just definitely put my arm around him and go, look at us. <laughs> you know, we're wow, good."
0: that is so great. Yeah. You and I are both uh, big supporters of Cedar Hills Hospital. Are they still helping with your recovery?
1: Actually, the head uh, shrink over there, his name's... Um, Esparza. yeah, he's my also my shrink, and he gives me a shot in the ass every month. Yeah. You know, it's all he does anymore. He makes sure that I'm I'm good, but. He doesn't worry about me too much, especially since I started taking that drug.
0: It's so amazing. I I, I really do want to find out more about the drug. Thank you always for informing me. You always take me one step more beyond my own understanding. Mm. And it's just always wonderful to know you're in the world, Dave, and telling your story and helping other people, especially ex-cons, especially ex-cons. I love that you give them some sort of different narrative for what their lives can be.
1: I think uh, since the days... That I was first doing that and it was it was just the right thing to do because I looked at myself and I was like I could see them doing the same thing you yeah
0: know?
1: since those days I've seen so many success stories you know there's a lot of not success stories but even the ones that were unsuccessful at one time some of them have become successful for some people it takes a lot of getting beat beat up
0: yeah indeed you're just such an inspiration for people. And if you want to find out more about Dave's story, you can go to davedahl360.com. Just some amazing videos. He's featured in Recovery Magazine this month as well. And also, I, I was really happy to know that NPR's Guy Razzi took you on for How I Built This. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's one of, that was yeah. one of my favorite programs. One of my favorite
1: programs. And he was great. And you know what was cool about that? Guy followed up with me afterwards, and he goes... So how's it going with Glenn and those guys, your, your brother and nephew and all that? And I'm going, you know what? Our talk was actually the catalyst for me to go out and try to make up with them. And we did, you know? You're kidding. But it was a huge deal for me to do that because I don't believe in carrying resentments. And yet I was not ready and willing to give up those resentments. Yeah. Uh, until that moment. And, uh, and they're like, okay, at this point in my life, That's a petty thing to hold on to. And I needed to go through that, the growth, the healing. And now we can hang out together. We did Thanksgiving together. (laughs) (laughs) Family stuff.
0: I think there's no better way to end this conversation than on that kind of high note, Dave. So incredibly good to see you again. Thank you. And that was the show. Thanks for your support of Beyond Well. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and spread the word to your friends. If you want to reach me individually, you can always reach out at Sheila at Beyond Well Media. I hope you make it a great day. Fora Health is a nonprofit alcohol and drug treatment center in Portland, Oregon that has been helping youth, adults, and families for nearly 50 years. They offer compassionate, comprehensive, and affordable care for everyone, regardless of background, orientation, or ability to pay. Fora recently opened a new state of the art campus in Portland's Southeast Gateway District, and the entire campus is healing and supportive. You can find out more about their full array of evidence-based therapies for drug and alcohol treatment at www.forahealth.org. If you or a loved one needs support, there are many options and personalized approaches to care. Reach out to Fora Health at 503-535-1151 or see the show notes for more details.